Are you afraid today? As you walked through the door and came here, did you bring with you some fears that you may have? We got a lot of options. I tried to collect some pictures and put them around the slide up here. Um, Maybe it's crime. You're afraid of some crime happening. You hear the news or maybe something happened in your neighborhood or somebody you know, and you realize that that crime could happen to you. Maybe it's terrorism. Worry that that next shoe may drop when you're at the Mega Mall or you're at a Vikings game or some huge event or you're flying on a plane. Maybe it's disease. Afraid of what the doctor might say. Afraid of something happening in your body. Maybe it's that drunk driver. Or the economy that seems to be spinning out of control and nobody's in control. Maybe it's your job. You've lost it or you're afraid you might lose it. Or there's unbelievable pressure on you to perform so you don't lose it. Maybe it's broken relationships. You're worried about some relationship. And that fear is just like a gray cloud following you around. The truth is our news is full of bad news. There's that quip that bad news sells. The tragedy of that is that makes the news organizations focus on bad news, not good news. And so in the grand proportions of life, we get a much bigger slice of bad news every time we listen to the news. And now we're in a new political season. It seems like we're never done with a political season. One's over and now the next one starts immediately But of course, everyone who's jockeying to go for office wants to paint everything in the worst possible light, so we'll elect them as the replacement. And so again, all we're hearing is how everything is wrong. And all of this creates for us what I would almost call an age of fear and pessimism. Because it seems like that's what so many people are living with today. We're living afraid, afraid of all of this potential bad stuff. The problem is if we don't feel safe, if we live with fear, we start to lose our joy. And if that goes on for a long enough period of time, we start to lose our hope. And if we've lost joy and we've lost hope, there's not a lot left for us. We end up living with fear, sleepless nights, worried, or we try and mask that fear with whether it's some chemical or substance, or we distract ourselves. We do whatever we can, but at our core, that fear remains. And it's down inside us, and it affects everything. There is a reality that we don't like, and and I think all of us try to avoid, and that is we can't handle life in the sense of I can't control it. I can't make it work. We try. I think every one of us in this room tries. But we learn quickly that we're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We don't have enough hours in the day. We don't have enough answers to handle all life. And I think part of the agony of our age right now is we've tried to look to other things, other organizations to handle life for us. 
and those are breaking down too. We've looked to government to handle life for us, fix it. And yet we're realizing government itself is broken. It's not fixing anything. And we rate our government right now the lowest it's ever been rated as far as its effectiveness. Because it's not fixing everything for us. When I was little, most people grew up thinking, well, if I work for this company, it'll take care of me. We all laugh at that now. That's like a comic book. Because business isn't taking care of me. Well, who's going to take care of all this stuff? We start to run out of options, don't we? Can God help? Is there an app for that? All this fear, all of these things that makes us, make us anxious in our world, in our lives, right here, Minnesota, 2012, 2011. Sorry. I wouldn't worry about next year, this year. The good news is God does have an app for that. If you have come through these doors today fearful for whatever reasons, there's an app for that. God can help. Isaiah's testimony in verse four, uh, chapter 40, verse 31, he says, Those who hope in the Lord, they look to God for, with their fears. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's what God can do for you. If you have come through those door, these doors today fearful, I want to offer you this God and what this God can do so that you can start soaring like an eagle and be strong and not grow faint. There's a picture that I use a lot, and I, I, I don't know if pictures work for you, but there's pictures that I use a lot for how I crawl up on God when I'm scared. And it's a picture in the Old Testament. I want to read two verses, both out of Psalms. First of all, verse, uh, chapter 71, verse 3. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And then in chapter 61, verse 2, From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I have this picture of God as my rock that I can crawl up on. And here's how that rock grows. I grew up in central Illinois, and, and spring floods were sort of a common thing. We had the Mississippi about 30 miles away, and we'd always go over there and watch the Mississippi when it'd flood, but we had a number of farm rivers around us, and they'd get flooded and flood the fields and all that. But there would always be these immovable objects, whether it was a bridge abutment or, or something else, and despite this enormous flood, it would always hit this and it'd have to flow around because it was immovable. David says that's what God can be for us. That rock that is higher than I. And sometimes in life we feel like we're in that flood and maybe we've gone under a couple times. 
and we're sputtering and we're tired and we're exhausted and we're afraid we're going under. But David says God can be that rock that we can crawl out of that flood and get up on that rock. And there's some sunshine and I start to dry out and I feel warm on that rock and all that flood's flowing around. But it's not hurting me anymore. Not because of me, but I'm up on the rock. And life's flowing on, and I'm safe. David says that's what he found God to be. We don't have to be afraid if we have God. Because he is a rock that is higher than I. So how does God do that? How, How does this app work? Well, I have to, first of all, warn you, God won't fix everything. Paul goes to, uh, we, we read in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, Paul says, I, I, I got this big problem, God, I need you to fix it. And even the Apostle Paul, we would all say this wonderful Christian, and he says, three times I begged God to fix it. And God's answer, sorry, not going to do that. I won't fix it. So I want, I want to be upfront with you right now. What I'm talking about isn't a magic wand or a magic lamp. You rub three times, God pops out as the genie and does whatever you want and fixes it. That's not how this app works. Doesn't mean it doesn't work, but it doesn't work that way. In one sense, I think God would say to us all, I already made everything perfect once. You just screwed it up. You messed up my perfect world that I created for you by all your choices and decisions. Well, God won't fix it. But what he does do is say, I will be with you and we'll get, we'll get through it together. At the end of that 2 Corinthians 12 chapter, this is what God says to Paul. First he says, I won't fix it, Paul. But then he says, this is what I will do. Now I've got this out of the message, so I put it up on the screen. Because I love the way uh, Peterson put this in the message. Then God told me, my grace is enough. Actually, it's all you need because my strength comes into its own. In your weakness. I love that picture. God says, you don't need anything else. I can take this. And I'll be all you're going to need. And when you're the weakest, that's when I get to really show my stuff. And that's what God wants to do for you. Now, how does God help us? Well, last week, when we looked at guilt... We use Peter as an example to see how does God work. Well, I want to do that again today, but not use Peter. I want to use, uh, look at someone who had tons of reasons to be afraid. And yet, in the midst of all those reasons to be afraid, he wasn't afraid. The man I want us to look at is Paul. Paul had lots of reasons to be afraid. I want to read two, two chunks of scripture to sort of help us understand all the reasons Paul had to be afraid. 
The first is in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He's writing to the, the, the Christians over in Corinth. He says, I need you to know what's gone on. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Can you identify with Paul? Have you ever felt that way? Those are powerful words he uses there. I'm in over my head. The pressure is so great, I I can't handle this. I'm going down. That's what Paul said. He said, that was so bad, I felt like somebody had passed a death sentence over me. And it was over. That's how bad Paul's life had gotten. He sort of lists all that. If you stay in 2 Corinthians, look over at chapter 11. I want to read it. It's a long passage, but I just want you to relate to Paul and understand how much he had faced. So I want to go through this quickly. He had, um, there were some people in Corinth that he was in a fight with, and they were saying, hey, we're the super spiritual ones because we've done all this super stuff for God. And so Paul says, I hate bragging about myself, but I want to tell you what I've done for God, what I've endured for God. And he lists it here in 2 Corinthians 11. I want to begin in verse 23. Are these folks servants of Christ, these people he was fighting with? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more of a servant for Christ. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged. Wait a second, lost my place. Sorry. Been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, gone without food, have been cold and naked. Paul knew what it was to be afraid. He had lots of reasons to be fearful. So how did God help Paul? How did this app work for Paul? I want to look at several scriptures where Paul tells us how he had overcome his fear. I've listed them in the notes because there's actually a lot of scriptures today. We're going to go through them quickly. But if you're a fearful, if you're wrestling with fear, I wanted you to have these scriptures to take home. They're all in the notes, just whether you take notes or not, take that piece of paper with you so you can look at these scriptures. 
The first thing that Paul had learned to do is to look to God for his answers. How do I handle this? How do I get through this? Paul had learned, I've got to look to God, not myself, nobody else. Over in Philippians 3, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul draws an important contrast there. He had grown up as a legalist Jew. And he had been taught that if I do the right things, I can handle this. And he had come to understand that all that stuff was garbage. That's not what was going to solve his problems. That was not what was going to overcome the problems of life. Only one person could do that, and that was Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, that's, that's my focus And Paul says there what he wanted. He wanted to know and experience in his life the power of God. The power that was shown when Christ was raised from the dead. Because that was where he was going to find his solution in that power. Now notice how Paul learns about that power in suffering. He says, I'm ending up having to suffer like Christ. But that's the very moment at which Paul began to experience the power we see in Christ. When he suffers, when those difficult things come to us, those things which make us afraid, Paul understood those became the doorways through which he began to experience God's power in his life. Another lesson Paul learned is that he got a new perspective. He saw things differently. Turn over to 2 Corinthians again. This time chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul had realized that in the face of all the things that he could fear, he didn't have to be discouraged. He says, we do not lose heart. In fact, he found a source of strength every day as he had to face all that he had to face. He says, we are renewed day by day. Paul learned to focus on the real big picture. That there was perfection waiting for him. 
And that that perfection, once he got there and once he experienced that, that experience was going to last forever, never end. And that was how he was going to spend the rest of his life. And so when he had to sit in a jail cell, when he was being flogged, the natural instinct for any of us is to focus on that moment. This is terrible. This is painful. I'm I'm scared. I'm afraid. What's going to happen? But then as soon as he said that, he realized, I know what's going to happen. There is waiting for me a life of perfection that will never end. Many years ago, I heard a campus minister in East Tennessee preach a sermon I've never forgotten. Because he talked about our life is a line. And it goes forever. But our life is composed of events. If you look at lines that are printed today, they may look solid, but we've come to learn they're pixels. They're individual dots. And they're all packed together, but that line that goes forever is made up of those little pixels. Every event is one of those pixels. In the midst of that dot, I may feel this is terrible. This pain, what's happening, what might happen... I'm worried, I'm terrified, I'm afraid. But Paul said, you've got to step back and look at the whole line. Because this one little dot is going to be over. The line goes forever. Peggy and I came to have this phrase in the midst of the tough times, it's just a dot. And we use that to remind each other ever since we heard that sermon a long time ago, it's just a dot. That's exactly what Paul was talking about here. He says, I've learned that these difficult things, they're just a dot. But that line goes forever. That's how Paul had learned to handle some of those tough things and be able to say from a jail cell, rejoice! How? It's just a dot. The line goes forever with God. Now, Paul wasn't super Christian. He needed reminding. He'd forget stuff. He'd forget this perspective just like we all do. We, we can walk out of here this morning, and if, and if, and if I do my job, you're going to say, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And that'll last till you check email at 1230. Or that'll last till you go to work tomorrow. Or the doctor's appointment on Thursday. Or, or you talk to a friend. Or you hear the news tonight. And bam, we're right back there again. Well, Paul was no different than that. He, he, he wrestled with that. It wasn't once and over. It was a constant battle. We need that pep talk with God. See, I think that's what Paul was talking about in uh, Philippians. Where he says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We all get anxious. 
Paul acknowledged that. There's lots of stuff that happens and it begins to steal our peace and make us fearful again. What we need to do is take those to God. That's prayer and petition. But in the process, what's that thanksgiving in there? It's reminding ourselves in the midst of my anxiousness, in the midst of coming to God, oh yeah, you did come through here, and yeah, you did do this, and yeah, you took care of this, thanks for that, and and thanks for that, and in the process, where am I at? Oh, God can handle this. And then that peace of God, which transcends all human, which is illogical, which there is no rational reason to find peace but we find it in God. Now, it struck me of a great analogy, and that's football. Now, when a team is struggling, not that the Vikings are struggling, or the Gophers, but when when, when a team is struggling, and they're out there on the field, and man, they are just getting pummeled, and, and their line doesn't exist, and they can't catch passes, and on and on, sometimes what's a coach got to do? Time out. Well, there's more drastic things, but for my story, time out. And you get the team and you huddle up. It's like, guys, you've lost perspective here. You forgot our game plan. We've we got to talk about this. Remember what our plan was? Remember what we're going to do? Now, I want to add one more detail. Now, if you, depending on what team you're in, that may help a little bit. But what if... This is the 1960s, and the coach is Vince Lombardi. And he's the one who gets you together. And he walks out and says, guys, trust me. I know what will work here. The winningest coach, I think anyone would say, even if you hate Green Bay, one of the greatest coaches ever lived and if he's the one saying trust me you can do this this is what we need to do it will work don't you think you walk back out on the field a little more confident let's do it Paul said sometimes I have to have a, a, a huddle with God and I gotta be honest with God God they're killing us out here They're running through my line. I I can't hold them off. But because of the coach, not because of us, because of the coach, because of all God has proven he can do. He says, okay, I I, I get it. But here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. I have got answers for this. And when we leave that huddle, we walk back out confident with a peace we can handle this because of who our God is and Paul needed that reminder the last thing and I realize when you walk in here you didn't feel this but what Paul says you need to really understand is you're invincible nothing can touch you Oh, they may knock you down, but nothing can defeat you. Nothing can stop you. Remember Superman? I love Superman. Wimpy Clark Kent. 
couldn't do anything. Inept, weak, silly. But we got to know what was inside that shirt. And at some point, sooner or later in the show or the movie, the shirt got ripped open. And what was under that shirt? A big ass. Because he was Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Well... That's a nice story in a comic book. But Paul said, that's who we are as Christians. David referred earlier to Romans 8. I want to read it. Then we're actually all going to do it together. Let me just read it the first time. If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If he's done that, how will he not also, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who's going to condemn us? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us, for you. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Ever feel like a sheep? Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul could say, I know by personal experience that neither death nor life, angels, demons, the present, the future, any powers, height, depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have Christ as your Savior, that's you. There is an S on your shirt. Because Christ is with you. And that's where we can avoid being trapped in fear. Not that tough things don't come. They did for Paul. But Paul had learned that in the big scheme of things, this stuff can't stick. It's going to fall away. We are more than conquerors through Christ. I want us to remember that and to sort of put that into our hearts today. I've got on the screen an antiphonal reading. We read to each other. And I want us to do that. It's going to be laid out. You all over here from the aisle, this way, you're A. Okay? I'm sorry, you guys are B, but you're B. They save the best to last. 
This half is B. This half is A. I want us to read this so that it soaks in because it's God's promise to you. I'll begin and we'll go back and forth and then we'll end together. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's God's promise to us. We don't have to be afraid. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. We're going to close with prayer. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we need this. We live in an age full of fear. Thank you that you will help us so that we can be more than conquerors. Walk with us this week. Help us to know your peace. In your son's name, amen. I think we're just going to close. We had a song to sing, but we've gone, I've gone over long. Um, Um. May you know the peace of God this day. If you are fearful, there's a prayer room and there's people who would love to come and pray with you. Please meet them there. May you know his peace this week.